and I was kind of under the impression, I think, that if you have an eating disorder, you're going to have to manage it for the rest of your life. This was something that she had to go through, but I had to be there, unconditionally loving. Welcome to Precarious Parenting, the podcast series for people feeling overwhelmed by family life in general. Do you often wonder whether you're doing it right? Or do you wonder whether it's okay to be just a good enough parent? My name is Marie Arimar, founder of Realization Works, guiding young people and parents back to clearer thinking. And this podcast series provides the opportunity to hear real people sharing real stories about how they manage to see beyond their overwhelm. episode, I'm thrilled to have Rebecca Perkins and Bea Ascot with me. Now, Rebecca and Bea are mother and daughter who have written the most beautiful and powerful book, which I've got on Kindle. It's called Recovery from Within, A Mother and Daughter's Journey Through Anorexia. And it's a really open and honest sharing of their story, which I hope we can capture in this 30-minute episode. So welcome to you both. Oh, thank you so much. So would you you both just introduce yourselves and just tell us what you're both up to now, because I know that you are both so busy with the work that you do. B, do you want to kick off? Sure. So thank you so much for having us on on the podcast. Really excited to be here and share our, our story. Um, so when I when I was fourteen, I was diagnosed with anorexia, um, and we, I'll kind of tell tell you more a bit about my story um, later in the podcast. But what we're really doing now together is offering help and support to people who are who are going through what we went through at that time, which was really really tough both for me, me with the eating disorder, but also mum and and the rest of the family and, and friends as well because eating disorders really do have a, a, a massive ripple effect on everyone around the person who actually has the eating disorder. So, so yes, we, we wrote a book a couple of years ago now, um, Time Flies, and, and we're now um, coaching people, we're running programs, we have an online support group every week, um, so it's kind of, it's, it's growing, which is really exciting, but we're, we're seeing kind of amazing impact already which is kind of fills us with joy because it really is a a really tough experience to go through so what we've kind of really set out to do is just to to be there for people in in that quite dark time and help to kind of guide them out of out of what they're what they're going through uh that that's that's so good, B. And uh, it's such a pleasure to be working together. Um, I I was actually training to be a coach when B was ill, which was just like perfect timing, really. So I've been working as a well-being coach for about 13, 14 years now. Um, and that's kind of just transformed from what I was doing originally, which is working with women in midlife, to now working not exclusively, but mainly with those that are going through eating disorders and and the families of those people um and it's i have to say a dream come true to be working with my daughter which is wonderful and uh and i just love how we are we're responding to those that we work with as we develop more and more things um to help help those 
uh, that are really struggling. Oh, that's, I love the work that you do. And one of the things that I really love about it is that you are making yourselves more and more accessible to people of, of every age group. So I know you're working on a YouTube channel you've got your book and, and I know that you've got, you're sort of multifaceted on how you're trying to get your message out there. And at the very end, we'll make sure that you share how people can contact you. So B, if you could just maybe, if you could, I mean, how do you summarize your story of your illness? Yes. But maybe if you could give us an idea of the journey and, and, and how it was for you. Yeah. So, so as I just mentioned, when I was 14 I was diagnosed with anorexia which really came as a massive surprise to me to be honest it wasn't something that I chose it was just that kind of subconsciously for whatever reason my mind was just telling me that food was kind of no longer my friend um and so so yeah I was I was given this label at the age of 14 and then kind of in and out of seeing uh, doctors, specialists, I mean, over the, the period of kind of three or four years, probably, I've, I felt like I saw every possible specialist under the sun, kind of ranging from psychotherapist, psychologist, to hypnotherapist. I mean, we really tried it all. Um, so, so, yeah, and it, it was a really, it was a really challenging journey because I think, being a teenager is quite a challenging thing to, to kind of go through as it is. And particularly at that time where schoolwork is starting to become more kind of serious and the, the work is piling up a bit more, but also with um, friends and friendship groups and also just the kind of physical development of, of being a teenager as well and also all the mood swings that go with that. So I think having the eating disorder on top of that, um, it, yeah, it was, re it was really, really tough. So, so yeah, over those, over those few years that followed, I would be going into to have weekly weigh-ins at the hospital, which was my, definitely my least favorite part of the week. Um, but, but also just like the, the, the challenges that we had within the family, just mealtimes were, turned into a battleground and it for, for a family who really loves food um it was it was really challenging and I've I think in hindsight I see how much much more clearly how difficult it was for the rest of the family obviously when I was going through it I was very much in my own little bubble so I wasn't I was almost kind of oblivious to the impact it was having on other people so so yeah over those few years um, once I started seeing someone actually outside of the, the hospital team that where I was kind of able to actually talk about what I was what I was feeling and actually not talking about the food because eating disorders aren't really about the food they're more of a, a coping strategy for actually what what we're feeling and thinking and going through at that time and for me it just again completely subconsciously it, my mind told me to start cutting out food as a way of numbing whatever I was feeling at that time because I didn't feel like I could deal with it. So, so yeah, and then we, so after I kind of started seeing a, a therapist outside the hospital team, I was, things kind of started to get better. 
Um, but I was still very much managing my eating disorder. And I was kind of under the impression, I think maybe a lot of people are, that if you have an eating disorder, you're going to have to manage it for the rest of your life or kind of keep it at bay, much like um, someone would who has um, alcoholism, for example, kind of constantly having to avoid triggers um, or avoid the, the, the thing itself. Um, in fear of kind of going down that rabbit hole again and so that that kind of lasted from probably the age of 17 18 to well up to i'm 27 now up to three four years ago maybe not even that um and it was it was at that point a few years ago where when we were having a conversation with a friend of ours, Mary Franklin Smith, who who works in the eating disorder service up in Yorkshire, and she, I, I was talking about my my blacklist, which is my kind of subconscious uh, list of fear foods that I had, which were totally off limits, and I mentioned it to her, kind of almost in passing, um, and she just said, "You know, it's not real, right?" In a, in a kind of loving way, I think mum was terrified when, when she said that because I think mum was still very much walking on eggshells at that point, even though I was kind of way past being in hospital or with the doctors. But it was, it was really interesting because no one had ever actually called me out on it before. I hadn't even, I didn't even really see it as a thing. Um, or it was it was a given that yeah I was just always going to be fussy and a bit funny around food that was just how B was end of story that's just how we're all going to live from now on but actually being kind of called out on that and having it pointed out to me that there wasn't it wasn't kind of carved in stone anywhere that all of these things I, I had to avoid and to be honest even if it was carved in stone I still didn't need to believe it or take it seriously but I didn't know that. And it might seem completely obvious to, to majority, the majority of people, but it was a real, it was a complete blind spot. And so it was kind of after that point that I went through a process of unraveling, <laughs> unraveling of all the rules and beliefs that I still had, which I didn't, I didn't even realize I still had, but that were very much kind of keeping me within a kind of a loose grip of the eating disorder that it wasn't it wasn't kind of at the forefront of my mind all the time but it it still limited what I was what I felt like I was able to do like the sort of food I could order in a restaurant for example or when I had to go to, out to the shops at lunchtime to to choose some food to have I still had a lot of rules in place that would would limit those choices and actually make those experiences quite stressful so so yeah it's been a uh, an interesting journey over the last kind of three four years of yeah I, I like to call it unraveling because it's we do like so many of us I mean we all have so many beliefs that that actually we think are fact and we live our lives by but actually because we don't see them, we don't know that we, we can't, we don't know that we can challenge them. And so that's been the real, 
kind of key to my recovery and and I'm here now and I'm and I don't have an eating disorder which I think is something that I didn't I didn't realize that I could get to this place oh that's it's lovely to hear you speak and I think that what you've just been talking to is so powerful in the book the way that you explain that the blacklist and the unraveling um that that process that you that has just been so releasing for you and I love the fact that you say you know I was oblivious to the impact I was having and I know Rebecca you talk a lot about that that you were also oblivious to your impact that you were having Mm. and I just wonder whether you could talk talk about that you know about your experience of of as a mother you know, witnessing and caring for your child as she goes through, you know, what looks to be such a difficult experience, such a difficult journey. You know, it's, um, I am so proud of that woman, that young woman there now. Um, I feel really emotional just hearing it again, because it is the toughest thing I've ever had to go through in my life. That this isn't something that as a mum I could, I couldn't make her better. I couldn't, you know, I write about this in the book. I couldn't put a plaster on it. I couldn't give her paracetamol. This was something that she had to go through, but I had to be there unconditionally loving whatever was coming my way. And, and when B was ill, there were, there were two people in her body <laughs> There was the eating disorder and there was B. And I'm so grateful that I was training to be a coach at the time because I was able to differentiate between those two things. Mm. That it was the eating disorder was, was a behavior. It wasn't who she was. And this is really key. This is really key as a parent to see that. Because... You know, I've, I have clients that come to me and say, but my, da- my daughter's shouting at me. She tells me she hates me. She kicked me. She's pushing me away. And, and they're absolutely distraught. And I totally get that. I know that. And that's not your daughter or your son. That's the eating disorder. And as a parent, that is exhausting absolutely exhausting because and and and, it, and it's interesting isn't it because you know we know that we are resilient by default and people will say to to or even said to me at the time you know i don't know how you cope and it's like well by what choice what do i do i just put one foot in front of the other every day day in day out dealing with and supporting the, the, the rest of the family, the, the, the you know, B's brothers and, and dad, and, and then the wider family and, and friends. And I was crawling on my hands and knees at times, but you keep going because your love is infinite and you do. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I would do things slightly differently now. I would make more time for myself <laughs> in that just my needs because we can't pour from an empty cup um, and it's so easy as a parent to put yourself further down the list but you're no use to anyone if you're doing that 
there's the beautiful um, analogy of the oxygen mask isn't there yeah you know putting securing our oxygen mask on ourselves before we help somebody else i think it's so perfect especially mm. in this conversation yeah so could you talk about you know maybe both of you talk about some of the you know maybe more practically some of the more the low points and the high points you know some examples of of what you you both experience or the whole family actually mm-hmm. as you say rebecca i think one of the things that springs to mind as a low point is the 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 a trust issue <laughs> um and be standing literally in my face while I'm cooking in the evening or preparing breakfast because the eating disorder didn't trust me and 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 that was really tough so you know we we're, we're, we're talking about micro amounts you know of food let's say that were being added or not added and and eaten and 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 i think i found that was one of the toughest things i found was as b said earlier you know a family that loved food to now have food as a battleground that was so tough and 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 you know another as b said meal times became torture and we were all there having a different experience of that dining room table and the food that was on our plates and i remember one one particular time it was like all eyes were on me b's younger brother who was only 8 at the time just looking terrified and b's dad as well and try or trying to to have you know to be have have light conversation and b's brother as well who was 18 really struggling and 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 then b looking daggers at everyone at times because she was so frightened as well when you're consumed by an eating disorder you're living from a place of fear be what's what's when you hear that when you hear your your mother relating that part of of the of your journey as a low point you know what what's your memory of 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 that meal time experience and 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 watching her cook yeah it's a really interesting question um I remember I can I can almost like feel the feeling <laughs> that I experienced at that time which was um I don't I don't even know if I've experienced it as fear I think maybe it was a kind of underneath there was a fear but there was definitely that feeling of um well the lack of trust and the the feeling that 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 yeah i i couldn't i couldn't and wouldn't put my trust in mum to whether it was kind of serve me the right quantities or um or whatever it might have been that i was convinced that she was she was kind of on the other team that actually i see now that it was what it actually is it was me and mom against the eating disorder but i didn't see that at the time it very very much felt like it was me against that she was my i kind of described her as my prison guard 
she was always there to to yeah make make me eat when I really really didn't want to. I really didn't want to. I think there was that underlying feeling of anger that I was being made to do things that I didn't want to do. And I think that that probably definitely came across to the rest of the family as well, that there was that kind of hostility. Um, and yeah, maybe that was, that was caused by fear. You talk about fear and you talk about um, the trust, you know, trust is a big word that's, that's being spoken about now. And, and, and then you, you talk about possibly seeing your mum as a, as a prison guard, which is such a powerful um, label, you know, and I think it really sums up the kind of the battle that might have been unconsciously being played out between you. And so are there any other, what about the high points? What about the moments when you started to have a glimmer that there might be some, some different journey ahead or different way forward? Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, for me, it's harder. It's, it's easier to remember the, the tough times. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but one, one thing that actually really does stick in my memory was on my, um, on my six, I think it must be my 16th or maybe 17th birthday that I had some friends over. And for when we were younger, mum would always cook um, or bake a pile of chocolate brownies for our, for our birthdays. And I remember really clearly on one of those birthdays, it must be maybe 17, where I had had a kind of a half a brownie or something that I'd eaten when no one else was looking. But so, so that was one of the first moments where I, I actually felt that feeling of, of pride in myself. Uh, I mean, there was so much... Um, self-doubt, self-hatred sound that's kind of a strong word but I think there was quite a lot of that going on at the time so actually this this feeling of pride I mean clearly it stuck with me kind of 10 years later um, that that was a real moment that I saw that actually that that could be possible again fantastic and Rebecca do you remember that moment or do you you know could, would you would you remember a, a different high? <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's funny. I don't, I, I mean, I know I remember the chocolate brownies because we had them, you know, um, all the time. And I remember that Bee would bake a lot, um, <clears throat> but would sneak little crumbs. Um, and, and there were different ways of justifying eating those because it wasn't a proper slice. It was just little bits. But I think for me, and again, hindsight's a beautiful thing, but for me, the moments where Bee reappeared, rather than the eating disorder, were just moments that I clung to. Uh, and I, now I see that that's who she was, really, um, when, when, when she was utterly exhausted and would collapse. And she talks about, you know, that the, the, the brick wall that she built around her would just break down. And then, obviously, she would be building it back up again. But in those moments, and of course, it was never, it, it was in times when we could be outside having a walk or sat on the sofa, just being mum and daughter. And those were just such 
um, powerful reminders, I think, to me that she was there. She was there. I just couldn't see her most of the time, and nor she couldn't see herself either. And, and I know that this is something that parents experience because I, you know, I, I speak to them and it's that. It's like I just need a reminder that my daughter or my son is there um, because it's really tough. And, and I guess what you're talking to is that moment where you, you resonate together, even if it's just for a few seconds. It's that, it's that beautiful bond that is always there when we haven't got these, um, these labels, you know, these stories that we're telling ourselves. Yeah. I, I was going to ask you, B, you know, how you would um, describe your relationship to food now, but you've, you've already said that you no longer have an eating disorder. Yeah, I mean, my, yeah, my relationship with food has completely transformed. Um, and, and, and like I said, it's, it's still a kind of unravelling. Like occasionally I'll, I'll catch myself going kind of at, at a restaurant and for a couple of seconds I might occasionally slip back into oh no I can't have that but then what the difference now is that firstly I don't worry that the eating disorder is back and secondly I'm I'm much more able to catch myself and remind myself that, that that's not true mm-hmm. and that actually I can eat what I want, when I want, and be okay no matter what. And so, actually, it's been a real, a real process of kind of rediscovering foods that I really love, but I haven't eaten or I, I didn't eat for such a long time um, because so much was off limits. And so, actually, I have that enjoyment back. And, you know, just hearing B, B say that is so powerful. And, and there are moments that I still get um, thinking about how B was. We, when we were together a couple of weeks ago and we went out for brunch and this plate of food arrived in front of B that was enormous. And for a moment, it was like, <gasps> you know, I could feel myself. And then the joy I felt as she literally well not literally licked the plate clean but you know it was empty and it and it was like that still gives me such a kick to see that or b will text me mess you know send me whatsapp messages of the latest recipe or we've got to do this or it's beautiful yeah so so what what i'm hearing is from both of you is that there's those those thoughts pop back in those those stories those messages of old pop back in but you both no longer believe them so you you both are able to see through the fraud of them more easily yeah absolutely it's the illusion of it i think that's what yeah. b spoke about to begin with seeing through the illusion and and that's that's really profound that is kind of where the change is that's where the change happens yeah and when you see the illusion as it was pointed out to you be then you can't stop seeing the illusion because you've seen yeah. it you've seen it for yourself and, and that leads me really beautifully on to asking you both what would be your message to other people out there mothers and daughters or people within families who are experiencing this what, what would you say to them like to i think 
I think for me, I mean, our overarching kind of core message is that full recovery from eating disorders is absolutely possible for everyone. And um, that's definitely the main one. Um, but the, the other one that I would, I would say is that, and this, and this goes for everyone, whether or not you have an eating disorder or not, that thoughts aren't facts. And actually we don't have to believe and act on every thought that comes into our head. Because ultimately that was, that I, this idea really kick-started my recovery. And it has meant that I've also overcome crippling anxiety that I had for a number of years as well. So it's, for me, that has been the real key to kind of returning back to myself, really. And I think for me, what I would share is, yes, the message of hope, particularly for parents, because that can feel really bleak at times, but also to understand that this is not, this, this is something they're going through. It's not who they are. Um, and, and to speak as much as you can to the person behind that mask, which can be easier or harder depending on the day of the week. <laughs> mm. But it's not, it's absolutely not, they're, they're there. They are there. You just can't see them at the moment. That is so powerful. They are there. Your, your daughter is there, even though you can't see her right now and she can't see her right now. The truth is she's there. Yeah. So I would really, really encourage anybody who's resonating with this episode to get in contact with you or at least join in your webinars or your YouTube channels, whatever is out there. So how can people do that? So our, our website is um, recoveryfromwithin.life. Um, and that's, that kind of is where everything, you can kind of find everything else, links to our book, our YouTube channel, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so we, we do have a presence on, on social media, uh, Instagram, Facebook and everything. So yeah, a whole, a whole range of ways that people can, can follow us or get involved. And if people felt that they wanted more one-to-one -one support, then they could also get that from you through your website. Yeah, absolutely. You are both gems and I will continue to watch you both with real interest. Thank you so much for your time. I've loved it. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. You've been listening to Precarious Parenting by Realisation Works. Subscribe to realisationworks.com to access more resources, including monthly blogs written to be shared with younger people.